0: We're in the middle of a series on prayer, Um, and if you'd like to catch up on it, um, it's easy. You can just listen to nine months' worth of podcasts, and you'll have some idea about what we're talking about. We still don't really, but you know, we're working on it. Um, At the start of the year, we sort of started talking about prayer and then realized for a good chunk of our community, they'd kind of hit a wall with prayer and stopped doing it at some point, you know, which is totally understandable, and then there's some people for whom prayer has just always been alive and nourishing and good. And both things are great. Um, so we've been working as a community um, around how to look at prayer. Um, for those who have hit walls, um, how to find prayer nourishing again, to explore maybe uh, why those walls popped up, um, to see if there's a way through, around, under something. Uh, so, yeah, we spent a fair bit of time looking at how God work, might work in the world, um, Bit of time exploring how we see God and who it is that we're praying to because I think that has a huge effect on how we pray and um, what to expect from prayer, so on and so forth. So, we uh, have reached the phase of um, the series now where we're talking about the practical side rather than the theoretical side. Um, we're trying to hold the idea of God as the all loving one, um, the source of life, as the one that we pray to, the community of God. Uh, We are trying to hold on to seeing God as shaped by Jesus. God has to be at least as nice as Jesus if you're a Trinitarian. Um, So we're trying to hold those things together, but dig back into the archives of church history and look at the ways that people have prayed across generations before us and see what wisdom we can glean from them. So we've been doing a bit of that. Um, We've been led in some Lectio Divina and some Daily Examine and some um body prayer and other stuff as well. And then today we thought, you know, we'd throw a curveball and invite Joel along. Um so Joel was a part of our community before he had a family, um, which ruins everything. Um and yeah, we he's, you know, still very much a part of this place via distance. And so it's really nice to have Joel speak back into it. He can tell you a little bit about himself, but we just want you to know that we love him and him
1: to know that we love him. And um it's really nice to have you here. Thank you. Morning, everybody. Hi. So um, thank you for having me back in this place. Uh, we, uh, My wife and I and our one-year-old and three-year-old are out in Croydon these days, and uh, we're out at a little church there called Eastern Hills Community Church, which is a beautiful little place to be. Um, we really enjoy it. Um, I, my life is surrounded by parenting and the fun that that is. Um, slight hint of sarcasm in there. And uh, then... Most of my life, uh, I'm kind of doing two things at the moment. Uh, I'm at Whitley College, um, just down the road, uh, and I help run the next course there, which is young adult spiritual formation for 18 to kind of 26. I think is our eldest um, people who are just trying to work out uh, how to do this thing uh, called life and include Jesus in it somehow. Um, and my main thing that I do is, is I'm a poet. For those who don't know me, so. Uh, I'm a performance poet, and kind of the last uh, many years, it's been pretty much my my full-time vocation doing that, Um, and I just get to go and share words around the place, and and share poetry. Is there any poetry lovers in the room? Can I? I? Great. Any poetry haters in the room? Be honest. Come on. Yes. I saw that hand. We have a poetry hater here, another poetry. Fantastic. You guys are going to hate today. Yes. Great. Um, I, as part of my poetry, what I, what I do a lot of is I get to go into schools, um, and, I, and I try to teach, uh, teach students how to not listen to everything they've heard in school about poetry, and uh, to somehow reclaim what poetry could be. It's really fun, and the teachers hate me. No, they actually they, they love me because I uh, acknowledge what they do, but kind of um, help young people to see beyond that a little bit. Uh, and to actually maybe like poetry and sometimes I even get year sevens and year eights and year nine boys Lacking poetry. It's amazing. It's incredible. That's the job that I that I love um, One of the things that I get to do within that is is I'm kind of forced to listen to really bad poetry a lot It's great uh, The amount of cliches that I hear from year eight boys and year nine boys and girls is, is quite incredible um, and and really quite funny as well, some of them. I've always, every time I hear one, I'm like, I need to write that down and I always forget it. And I just found um, a list on on the interwebs the other day of just wonderful metaphors and images and analogies that students have used in their creative papers. So I thought I'd start there with us today um, if we can get this up. Um, The sun was below the watery horizon like a diabetic grandma easing into a warm salt bath. She was like a magnet, attractive from the back, repulsive from the front. Her eyes twinkled like the mustache of a man with a cold. When she tried to sing, it sounded like a walrus giving birth to farm equipment. She grew on him like she was a colony of E. coli and he was room temperature Canadian beef. Her eyes were like the stars, not because they twinkle, but because they were so far apart. From the attic came an unearthly howl. The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality, like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at seven instead of 7.30. It was as easy as easy as taking candy from a diabetic man who no longer wishes to eat candy. Their love burned with the fiery intensity of a urinary tract infection. She had a deep, throaty, genuine laugh like the sound a dog makes before it throws up. The revelation that his marriage of 30 years had disintegrated because of his wife's infidelity came as a rude shock, like a surcharge at a formerly surcharge-free ATM. They're just some of the wonderful metaphors and analogies that you might hear in, in high schools around Australia. Um, it's, it's kind of a joy of mine to get to go in and do this. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I do say, we're going to do some poetry now, and all the kids roll their eyes, and they're like, oh. Um, but within kind of a few a few poems, they, they get gripped, and they're like, oh, this can be, po- I didn't realize this could be poetry. I thought poetry was just boring, old Shakespearean language, that kind of stuff. And so it's a joy what I get to do. I absolutely love it most of the time. Um, and what I often kind of start off with, and I kind of want to, in some way, take us on a bit of a a poetry workshop, not really, kind of, just some thoughts for me around prayer, around poetry, and how they, in some sense, come together. So my first question uh, to you um, is, is, have you ever sat there, who has sat there, with a blank piece of paper, staring up at them? Mocking them as they go to write something creative, whether it's a poem or a song or something you know you got to, or even an essay, something creative that you have to do, who has sat there with that blank bit of paper mocking them as they try to work out what to write? And then it's like, oh, I don't even know where to start. How do I get this down? And just, oh, and your perfectionist kicks in and you're like, even if I'm going to write it, it's going to suck. It's going to be, who's, who, is that a common thing for people? Probably for a lot of us, for most of us who attempt anything creative, it's kind of where the creative journey begins, that blank bit of bloody paper that mocks you uh, and what you're doing. Um, And so we have these these creative blocks. Um, This creative block happens at this point. And what I want you to do just quickly is I want you to maybe chat around your tables what... At this point of the blank bit of paper, what is it that is causing this creative block for you? What is it that causes you to sit there and that blank bit of paper to continue to mock you and you try to get something down, but it's so freaking hard to even start and you're just like, Argh! have a chat around your tables quickly. What is it for you that causes this, this creative block? All right, maybe bring those conversations in. Um I'd love to hear some of them. Is there is there some who wants to just shout out what what you guys were talking about? Just a few from some scattered tables. Yeah. I have too much to say at any one point and I would been mean. fantastic. There's so much up in your head and your heart and your gut. You're like, "No, oh, I can't even great. Fantastic. Cool, great, great. Others? Yeah. Too many options to know where to begin? Yeah, good. Others? Okay, I'm clear of where you want to go. Yep. Okay, you don't want to start it till it's, till it's the 100%, right? Yeah, absolutely. Really good thoughts. There's a a number for me that, as I've done this around the place, a bunch of the ones that keep coming up are these. Uh, Perfectionism seems to be a huge one. I have it has to be right. It has to be right. If it can't be right, then it's so hard to start for fear of of being wrong. I I can't make it look right. Everything I do when I try, it just doesn't look like like if it's poetry, like poetry is meant to be. Poetry should be. We have this idea in our heads of what something should be like. And sadly for high schoolers, it's often really bad rhyming couplets. That's the idea in their head. And they can't get those rhymes right, and so they think that it's incredibly hard to write their poetry. Um, We have been taught what this should look like. Again, English teaches us this is what a poem is. needs to have this, needs to have this, needs to be this. And so we get kind of caught up in these rules of what what this is. Uh, We have that internal critic telling us that we suck anyway. we have the external critics that are around us that that we listen to often, or we think we're li- like we think that there are going to be a bunch of people who will criticize, a bunch of people who won't like what we do. Uh, and so, comparison is another one in terms of relationships. We what I'll do will we'll never be as good as this person or that person next to me. Um, we can't translate. I can't translate what is in my head to become the final product. I have these. This great idea, but every time I try to get it down on paper, it just—it's like, oh, well, that's not what I was picturing in my head. Um, uh, I can't live up to past successes. I've been really successful in the past to try to do something else again. I remember seeing—if um, anyone's seen Elizabeth Gilbert's TED talk that she did. She was the the lady who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and her TED talk was kind of. Uh, After the huge, massive success of Eat, Pray, Love, she just had this massive writer's block of like, there's so much pressure on me now to do something. And so for me as a poet who's known as a poet, sometimes that's a huge one that comes up. It's like I start to write something like, oh, it's not, nothing's working like that poem that I wrote that everyone loved. It's just not coming together. Uh, Self-doubt. Uh, ego and pride of, of what, again, kind of what my poetry should, the quality that my poetry, that our creativity should be like. Uh, I couldn't do it in the past, uh, so what's going to mean that I can do it now? I've tried to write a freaking poem, and it hasn't been good. What's going to mean different now? Um, and I think the big one, and kind of what, for me, what brings all of them together is is fear. What sits beneath all of this stuff? There's always a fear. And it's a fear, it's the fear that stops us, whether it's a fear of, of being seen, of, of fear of our kind of the emotional inside and what we'll find there, a fear of not living up to, to the quality that we want, not living up to the standards, not um, our creativity, not being what we think it should be. All of these things that are up here really come down to a, a base of fear, a base of fear about our creativity and who we are. What I want to what I want to put to you guys today is this that have you ever have you ever sat with the blank piece of paper that is God and you just don't quite know where to start or what to say and God seems so out there and all of these things come up inside you that that you kind of sometimes don't even realize because a lot of our a lot of our creative blocks become things like watching youtube videos or or playing on facebook or whatever and it's all things that we're using to distract us from the the real things that are happening the fear that is happening within us about creativity what what I think I want to put to you guys today is that that same fear is the same fear that we bring into our prayer lives and into our spirituality, that the same creative blocks that we have as individuals, I put to you that, that in some way, they're going to be the same spiritual blocks, the same spiritual blocks that you have in your prayer life and your spirituality. I think they, they mirror each other. The the perfectionism that we feel like we're meant to have, that that our spirituality, our Christianity should be like this. We've been taught what it is in the past, or maybe we've had huge successes in the past. I remember my prayer, spiritual life, growing up as a passionate teenager, on fire, praying my heart out for hours, all that kind of stuff. And these days, it's just not and so the idea, the romanticism of what was in the past creeps in. All these things that block us creatively, those internal critics. That we can't translate in our head what we want to be the final product, that we have these ideas of what prayer is meant to be, should be, and none of us kind of meet those ideas of what prayer should be, or what we've been taught prayer should be, or or, or from whatever's been in our past. And it's these same blocks, this same fear comes into our prayer life. Does that make sense? Do people get the comparison I'm making? Maybe have another chat with the people around you in your, on your table. And I wonder, talk again about the same blocks you talked about, maybe in terms of your creativity, your creative life, sitting there with that blank bit of paper. Maybe have a chat about them in relation to sitting there with, with sometimes the blank white God that feels like, There's nothing there, and I can't engage. Have a chat. How do these same blocks, like we talked here, or like you're talking about individually in your tables, how do they play out in your prayer life? Does that make sense? Have a chat. See if they do. Have a chat with those around you. All right. Let's bring those conversations to a close. Um. So my hope is my hope is that you're seeing some of the connections that that's so much of the time how we do creativity is how we do spirituality how we do and not just creativity as well but actually how we do relationships is often how we do spirituality i've just got a thought up here the depth that we allow ourselves to go in our relationships and our creativity is the, depth of the horizontal relationships when we, if whether we allow people into our stuff and ourselves and our hurts and our pains and our shadows and our brokenness, I would say this is the depth that we allow God into it, whether we realize it or not. Kind of, we so get used to living out of this, the way that we want other people to see us, our, our projected selves, that I think we just project that same self up to God. And so the more that we allow others into our lives, I think the more that we allow God truly into our lives, into the dark places and the hard places and the shadow places inside, and it's the same with our creativity. The more we kind of allow ourselves, the depth we will go in in our creativity and our willingness just to go for it and create, that is the depth that we will allow kind of that our prayer life will be at as well. Does that make sense, that connection between those? Um, uh, Julia Cameron, uh, an amazing author who wrote a book called The Artist's Way. If you are a creative who's like, I'm just stuck, I don't know where to go. The the, the Artist's Way is amazing. Has anyone read The Artist's Way? Who's read The Artist's Way? Probably a few of you. It's an amazing kind of 12-week workshop within the book. She gets you to do a whole bunch of things. So if you're a a creative person, I'd really encourage you to read it. She says, um, creativity is an experience, a spiritual experience. Does not matter which way you think of it, creativity leading to spirituality or spirituality leading to creativity. In fact, I do not make a distinction between the two. I do not make a distinction between the two. Not only is creativity like spirituality, but she would say they are they are one and the same. They came from come from the same place, the same drives within us, our spirituality and our creativity, and therefore, um, kind of what where I want to put to you today is that if we allow ourselves and work out how we move forward in our creativity, perhaps what has happened for me in my life is is absolutely, I've been able to move forward in my spirituality through the same means. And so I did grow up that kid who was a passionate praying, worshipping hands up the front in my church, kind of passionate Jesus following person. And, um, and like many of us, lost that somewhere along the way and thought I was the worse off for it and romanticized that and remember what it was and it's never the same anymore. And you kind of go through that journey. Um, and coming out the other side for me, my, poet, my, my prayer turned into poetry. I, not turned into, it kind of, I realized that the poems that I was writing were my prayers that the way that I was in, engaging in the world, that I wasn't sitting there and doing my my 20-minute quiet times of a morning like I was told to anymore, but actually when I was scribbling my my the angst of my life into some writing, um, that was my prayer. And God met with me in those moments in ways that I didn't even realize at the time because it wasn't in the hyperspiro, beautiful presence of God kind of stuff. It was just in the midst of my working through the stuff of my life, um, but again, Julia Cameron says, as blocked creatives, we are willing to go to almost any lengths to remain blocked. Isn't that that's an interesting statement? After a while, we come to realize that many of those who are blocked are so because they are getting a payoff from it. It has become their crux, their identity, their martyrdom. What is your payoff, she asked. With our creative blocks, we're getting something from them. Otherwise, we would just create it and it would be amazing. But there's a reason we sit on Facebook for hours or YouTube for hours or whatever it might be, watching Netflix for hours. There's a reason why we struggle um, just to just get it out there because it's meeting something. There's a payoff for us. And it's a really hard kind of self-confrontative question to ask, I think. What is what is the payoff? What do I get to hold on to to believe that God doesn't answer prayers? What's the payoff for that? There's a payoff. What's the payoff that I get to hold on to to believe that, um, that even if I pray, nothing's gonna happen? God is not an interventionist God. God doesn't really. Do you get what I mean? There's something that it's meeting in us. I wonder what that is for you. Why do we sit there and not risk? Why, do we, why are we willing to sit in the, God's out there and I'm here and yes, I know that I haven't prayed for a long, long time. And I know I'll spend um, probably 3,000 more percentage of time on Netflix than praying. Um, what, is this, what is this meeting in us? What is the payoff and the reward? How we, how we do the small things is how we do the large things. How I write my poetry is how I do the large things of my life. The same blocks that I have in the writing of my poetry uh, and is the same blocks that I have with my wife, is the same blocks that I have in my relationships, is the same blocks that I have in my relationship with God. These, How we do the small things is like a mirror of how we do the large things. So, perhaps then the way forward, to move forward in, in our spiritual blocks is maybe just a few, a few thoughts from me, and this is where I'll get us to do some some workshopy stuff just for a little while. Um, that if, if we can, perhaps some of the ways we move forward in our creative blocks are the same as the ways we move forward in our spiritual blocks. So how do I do that in the classroom? And we're going to have a little classroom session now. To start with, there's a few things that I want to do with you. I'm going to do these really quickly. Um, firstly, I want you to turn to one person next to you And I want you to tell them over a one-minute period of time what this is. What is this? You have one minute to say it to someone next to you. And I want you to do it without even thinking. I want you to say, what is this? And is everyone ready? I want you to turn to someone next to you. What is this? Go. Start talking. All right. Finish those stories. Finish those stories. Um. Who spent a minute just trying to talk about a green circle? Did anyone do that? A few people tried to do that. Who uh, created a whole world out of this picture? Was using their imagination and talking about different things. A few people here. We've got a few people. Okay. Um, so one of one of the things that I try to teach my students is um, use your imagination. Don't don't lose your childhood sense of wonder. For some reason, it's by year. By year 8, 9, 10, it's like this. there's this thing that is killed inside of us. Year 5s and 6s are amazing to do poetry with because they come up with the weirdest, creative, most wonderful things. By year 9, you can have the same girl, and I've actually seen, because I've had seen this, this same girl trek through doing poetry from year 6, where she was like, oh, this is this, and it could be this, and it could be this. By year 9, she wouldn't say a word in the classroom, not one word. She was too embarrassed, too shy, too shamed about who she was. All of the stuff of life comes in. Um, but to be able to look at a circle and use our imagination and, and not lose our sense of wonder of what something could be. I tell my students to open their eyes. This is where our, our um, open your eyes. This is where our, our inspiration comes from for our creativity. But I promise you it's where our inspiration comes from for our spirituality as well. Uh, G.K. Chesterton said, our perennial spiritual and psychological task is to look at things familiar until they become unfamiliar again. To, look, to walk out your door and walk to your car, this walk that you do every day of your life and you don't even look around you, tomorrow when you do that, just stop because there's, there's literally millions of life forms all around you doing creative, interesting, amazing things, and we miss it every day. We're so focused and so busy, we just miss it. We forget to look at the world through childlike wonder. Um, A little while ago, when I was living up at Kangaroo Ground, one of my spiritual practices was once a week, I would go for a walk with a magnifying glass. That That was my spiritual practice, just to to, to see the world differently, to see those things that are most familiar, to see them become unfamiliar again. John O'Donohue says to participate in beauty is to come into the presence of the holy. Simply to participate in beauty is prayer. That is a form of our prayer. Kathleen Rain says yet, she's a poet, says yet, I have glimpsed the bright mountain behind the mountain knowledge under leaves, taste the bitter berries red, drunk cold water and clear from an inexhaustible hidden fountain. To see this world, but the, the creative sees what is. I love, there's a quote that says, creativity is like looking at the world. You see the same things that everyone else sees, but you rearrange these pieces into enticing new possibilities. It's seeing what is there, but choosing to see deeper and be inspired by all these things around you. It's for our creativity, but our spirituality as well. Jesus said in, I'm sure I can quote the Thomas Gospel and not be cast out as a heretic in this church. Um, Jesus said, I am the light that is over all things. I am all, from me all came forth and to me all attained. Split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up the stone and you will find me there. The Christ is present in every area of our lives, not just in kind of the quiet times and all that kind of stuff that we often uh, keep him in. I'll skip this one. Well, it's taking so long, I might as well just talk about it. Um, We, I think, to live the aesthetic life rather than the anesthetic life is actually huge for our spirituality where our senses are operating at their peak, being fully present in the current moment, resonating with the experience and being fully alive, rather than the anesthetic life of shutting off our senses and deadening ourselves to what is happening. So I tell my students, don't lose your childlike sense of wonder. Go into this world and find, and in terms of our spirituality, find God in the the presence of your life. Let your participation in beauty be your prayer. In an intentional choice changes that from just a nice moment into it being your prayer. What I also tell my students, Julie Cameron says, most of the time when we are blocked in an area of our life, it is because we feel safer that way. We may not be happy, but at least we know what we are. Much fear of creativity is a fear of the unknown. Between fear and, and creative freedom, spiritual prayer freedom is is always risk. Creativity equals risk. It's to step out there and risk and hope and to fail and not be held back by those failures. To step out there regardless, to continue stepping out there, stepping out there. Claude Bernard says man can learn nothing except by going from the known into the unknown. To choose to risk. See what I tell my students is this the first thing that will stop you writing a good poem is trying to write a good poem absolutely the only way to write good poetry is to write tons and tons of crap poetry just to show up and be and write and not judge whether it's good or bad or right or wrong or anything like that and I say exactly the same with our prayers with our with our prayer with our spirituality with our spiritual life the thing that will stop us from having a good spiritual life. It sounds really weird, but he's trying to have a good spiritual life. Rather, what if we just show up and stuff up and screw up and and, and try and risk and fail and not have this ideal out there that we always feel guilty because we never reach of what our prayer life is meant to be? What if we just risk it, just simply coming and, and kind of where I take my students, the risk of creativity is is to risk that it's not going to be right, but you do it anyway. And we're going to do that risk uh, in a second. I'm going to read, as we, as we finish, I'm going to read a, um, a children's storybook for you, and you're going to come and grab a piece of paper, and then you're going to write some poetry just as we begin to finish. Doesn't that sound exciting? Yes. Let me read this storybook. This is, this is a book that I um, share with, with my students most of the time. Has anyone read Ish by Peter H. Reynolds? Well, it's wonderful and I'm excited to read it to you now. Ramon, Ramon loved to draw. Anytime, anything and anywhere. One day Ramon was drawing a vase or a vase of flowers. His brother Leon leaned over his shoulder. Leon burst out laughing. What is that? He asked. Ramon couldn't even answer. He just crumpled up the drawing and threw it across the room. Leon's laughter haunted Ramon. He he kept trying to make his drawings look right, but they never did. After many months and many crumpled sheets of paper, Ramon put his pencil down. I'm done. Marisol, his sister, was watching him. What do you want? He snapped. I was watching you draw, she said. Ramon sneered. I'm not drawing. Go away. Marisol ran away, but not before picking up a crumpled sheet of paper. Hey, come back here with that. Ramon raced after Marisol up the hall and into her room. He was about to yell but fell silent when he saw his sister's wall. This is one of my favorites, Marisol said, pointing. That was supposed to be a vase of flowers, Ramon said, but it doesn't look like one. Well, it looks vase-ish. Vars-ish. Ramon looked closer, and then he studied all the drawings on Marisol's walls and began to see them in a whole new way. They do look ish, he said. Ramon felt light and energized, thinking ishly allowed his ideas to flow freely. He began to draw what he felt, loose lines, quickly springing out without worry. Ramon once again drew and drew the world around him, making an ish drawing felt wonderful. He filled his journals with tree-ish and house-ish and boat-ish and afternoon-ish, and fish-ish, and sun-ish. Ramon realized he could draw ish feelings too. Peace-ish, silly-ish, excited-ish. His ish art inspired ish writing. He wasn't sure if he was writing poems, but he knew they were poem-ish. Pond, ponder, dream yonder, pond, pond, yond, yond, gleam, wander. One spring morning, Ramon had a wonderful feeling. It was a feeling even ish words and ish drawings couldn't capture, so he decided not to capture it. Instead, he simply savored it. Ramon lived Ishly ever after. Isn't that like the best book ever around creativity, but around how we do prayer, around how we do the spiritual life in general? No, I think most of us think that God is, is the brother Leon, and most of us attempt this spiritual life that we have, and it doesn't work and it's not right, and it doesn't look right. And so we crumple up the sheets of paper of our life, and we throw them down. We throw them down. We get frustrated with ourselves. We get frustrated with God. We want to just throw it all out. It's like, ah, I just want to give up. Oh, look at that wonderful food coming out for us. I just want to give up. I wonder if God is actually not Leon, but God's a whole lot more like Marisol. That God takes the scrumpled up pieces of our lives that we thought were rejects, that we wanted to throw out in the bin, and we walk into God's room and He has unscrumpled them and He has made a gallery of all the screw-ups of your life and says, this is what I love about you. This is what I love. These This ishly stuff that you have done. How about we just kind of try to do life-ish? Kind of try to do Christian-ish, prayer-ish. I I may not be able to pray, but maybe I could pray-ish. Do you get what I mean? Letting ourselves off the hook to just say, this is where I'm at. (laughs) I love these bunnies that are coming through. This is where I'm at. This is what what I've got, God. I've got nothing. I've got the smallest little bit of something. Life sucks at the moment. Life is hard. What if we brought that to God as our prayers? Just to be totally real and honest, recognizing the same blocks we have with our friends to do that or the same blocks we have with God to do that. Uh, When I'm in a good rhythm in my life, I do two pages of flow of conscious writing every day. Flow of conscious writing is what you guys are going to do right now for five minutes as we finish. Flow of conscious writing is simply where you put pen to paper and your pen is not allowed to stop writing. Your pen is not allowed to stop writing. You just, you just write. So you don't edit. You don't, you don't guard what you're saying. You just create and write. So I want you all to come and grab a bit of paper and a pen. And we're going to do some flow of conscious writing. If you don't want paper and pen, you can sit there with your phone and do it in your phone. That's an, that's, you're allowed to do that as well. And all I want you to do, I don't want you to try to write a good poem. I don't want you to try to write a good prayer. All I want you to do is to write, Dear God, I feel. And then I just want you to keep on writing for five minutes straight without stopping whatever comes out. Dear God, I feel. Grab pen and paper or use your phone. If you're choosing not to do this, register why. Register what's coming up in you. What stops you from doing this if you're choosing not to? And then I'll force you to do it. No, I'm not going to force you. Don't worry. It was high school class, I get to force you, but maybe not church. Five minutes straight, flow of conscious writing. Dear God, I feel. I'm going to time us. If anyone stops writing during this time, they, are, they can join me in being excommunicated from this church. Dear God, I feel. Ready and go. Start writing and do not stop. Last sentence. Let me say this to finish, and I'll pray for us. Uh, in my life, I found that for me to have a good prayer life, I had to stop trying to have a good prayer life. I know it just sounds so ironic and weird. But just the same as my creativity, I needed to stop trying to write good poems, and I just needed to write. And it doesn't mean to for me to stop trying to have a good prayer life. Didn't mean that I stopped kind of. It meant that I stopped trying to pray in the way that I always thought prayer was meant to be. And it meant that I just got to write and create. And um, and, and I began to realize that that is my prayer. That, that was my prayer. And I show up just with my creativity. I show up every day. I write a poem every day. That's my discipline. And so it's not that I'm not uh, not living it out. It's the same with prayer. When I say don't, don't try to have a good prayer life, that doesn't mean not live it out. It means just, why don't you, for this next month, here's my challenge. Instead of praying, instead of trying to pray, what if you just grab a bit of paper every day and you just write one page? Call it call it a poem, call it a prayer, call it scribbled journal, call it whatever. What if you stop trying to have a good prayer life and just write some stuff down about how, where you're really at and what you really think about God at the moment? Does that make sense? Does that flow in some way? Shall I pray for us and then I think we're going to have some communion? God, um, May we have a prayer-ish life. May we realize that that you really are like Marisol. That you take the scrumpled-up pieces of our lives and you plaster them on your gallery and you love. It. May that let us off. Of our all these, these spiritual blocks, creative blocks that we have. Hope let's just to show up and risk to write and for it not to be good, for it not to look like it's meant to look, but just to do it anyway, and do it anyway, and do it anyway. God, may you take the, the life ish that we try to do and um, shape it around. God, we surrender ourselves and our creativity, and our spiritual lives and our prayer lives. We surrender it all to you. I pray that we will go out of here and and live richly. Amen. Thanks so much, guys.
2: Thanks, Joel. That was beautiful. So, as Joel said, we're going to have uh, communion now. Just a bit of space. One thing I love about that story is uh, I was just thinking about. Uh, Leon is lion in Spanish. It's like the idea of the devouring lion of fear. And Marisol is Maria's son. Uh, Maria as mother, son as source of life. Um, so, yeah, it's a lovely way to think about God as the one that gives birth to us, the one that sustains us, um, and the one that pastes our drawings to the wall. Um, as we come and have communion its I think communion is a fantastic illustration of exactly what Joel is talking about the f- the familiar the overly familiar the incredibly ordinary elements of cracker and juice and we can a- we can approach it by trying desperately to spiritualize it and to try to turn the crackers and juice into this kind of powerful transformative spiritual experience, or um we can try just to be present to the miraculous ordinariness of crackers and juice. Um, I remember I grew up in a a household where food was really just fuel. Um, There was no real engagement with what what we were eating. And then I ended up in a relationship with someone whose parents were real foodies. And through that relationship, I came to this realization that um, bacon and eggs, though this incredibly every, everyday meal that people have, uh, the aesthetics, the textures, and the flavors of those two things in combination were just this incredibly miraculous thing. Um, so with, with the crackers and the juice, I'm not sure the aesthetics is, are exactly the same, but I guess I invite you as you come forward and take a little piece of cracker and a little piece of juice um, to make your spiritual work just tasting them, just actually tasting them. Tasting uh, the sugar, tasting the salt, and realizing in these tiny elements of the ordinary is is the extraordinary. You don't we don't need to make it extraordinary? It just is if we are present to it and we see it. Um, and in the same way that the cross, Jesus' death for us, is at the one and the same time this incredible, mysterious, spiritual thing, but is also present in every single simple need that is met. Um, So let's come forward, take a little bit of cracker, a little bit of juice, and when we're all standing and ready with our cracker and juice, I'll say another little prayer and then we'll eat and drink together.